Welcome to the DJE Podcast, where you will learn about real estate investing from real life examples. Here's your host, Devin Elder. Hello and welcome to the show. Today's guest is Vikram Raya. We had an excellent conversation. Vikram is a great guy, high energy. He's a cardiologist who had a very successful career and uh, that wasn't enough. So he got into real estate, specifically multifamily real estate. And he really walks us through some of the nitty gritty on his adventure going from being introduced to the space all the way through to raising over $100 million of capital for his projects. They're in over 4,000 doors now in multiple markets nationwide. So you can just kind of see the, the scale there. And that's over a relative, relatively short period of time. So we dive in on how he grew that, uh, some of the challenges along the way, some some funny, interesting stories that multifamily seems to provide an unending supply of as it happens. Uh, but I think you're going to enjoy it, whether you're a passive investor or just new to the space or looking to be an operator or grow your operations. Vikram's done that. He's grown pretty big operation and they're continuing to buy. So there's a lot there to dig into. Before we jump into the interview, if you are not currently on the DJE investor list and you want to see our forthcoming projects, go to djetexas.com and you can sign up there. We'll send you case studies and get you set up with the investor portal access so you can see those future projects. And then if you are thinking you'd like to be an operator and take steps in that direction and grow your business, um, we set up apartmenteducators.com just for you. There's a free eight series course there that I teach on multifamily investing. We've also got events and uh, folks that have opted in and plugged into that network and become our students are, are going out there buying these 10 and $20 million apartment projects with our guidance. And that's been very rewarding to guide people through that process. So if that speaks to you, check out apartmenteducators.com. All right, let's jump in the interview with Vikram. Here we go. Vikram, hello. Welcome. Thanks for being on the podcast. How are you? Hey, Devin. Ready to rock and roll, man. Yeah, excellent. Excellent. Well, thanks for joining and appreciate it and excited to dive into your journey here and kind of share that with the listeners. Let's back up a little bit for those that, that haven't met you or not kind of in your universe right now. Um, what What is your background and what eventually led you into real estate? Yeah, uh, I'm what we call a rebel cardiologist who decided that he doesn't want to play by the rules. <laughs> I love it. And uh, I wanted to forge my own future. And so look, uh, humble beginnings, uh, grew up in India, came here when I was two immigrant family, typical story, you know, education was very, you know, focused on and they're like, you know, you either you're a, you're a lawyer, you're a doctor, or you're a loser, right? So I was like, all right, right. Well, those are my choice were pretty narrow there. So, uh, but definitely not the smartest kid growing up. Uh, got into fights, you know, moved around a lot. So a lot of, you know, learning to be flexible, adaptable. In fact, I, I actually lived most of my younger life until high school in apartments. Mm-hmm. And so I got to learn about apartments from the inside out, if you will. Sure. And um, yeah, it was very formative in my, in my life. And, and then finally I decided, Hey, look, I, I need to settle down. So in high school, I did pretty well, got into a decent college and then, you know, say, Hey, let me follow this whole medical school route. And it was, uh, and then, you know, and, and I had so many people in my family die of heart attacks, like, you know, and I'm, I mean, the other day I, I had another call where like, uh, yeah, your, your aunt in India, she has a quadruple bypass. She has uh, blockages everywhere. I'm like, man, I gotta, I definitely got to study and master this thing. And so I did it. And then 
it just got disillusioned once I became, you know, like sometimes when you hit your dreams and you're like, is this all there is or right you know, or like, now what? was this, was this, the, was this the right dream even? So right. uh, one, one of the things I repeat to myself, Devin is sometimes you let, have to let go of your dreams to follow your destiny. Mm. And so uh, I realized that, look, cardi- being cardiologist, we can be maybe part of the pathway, but that may not be the whole, 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 whole enchilada, if you will. And I told my wife, Hey, look, look, um, if I'm still, you know, I, I, I started practicing at 33 and I was like, if I'm still practicing by the age of 40, something went terribly wrong. And you know, people are like, what, that's your dream. You're making you know, reasonable money and you know, sure. you have a good life. You're comfortable. And that's, that's the buzzword, Devin. I, I don't want to be comfortable. I love uh, it. I think comfort kills drive. And I, you know, I want to be successful. I want to be uh, pushing all my capabilities to their limits. And I want to make the world better. I want to make myself better. I want to make my family better. And so I think that's what was driving me. But, you know, we, I've, I've been bruised. I've been, I stumbled. I've made mistakes. Um, I'll tell you a story. Like I, my first time raising capital for, for deals. Cause this is, again, as a site, I tried doing op- options trading Devin. Okay. I got, my, I got my butt handed to me. Sure. And so I was like, <laughs> I got to find something that I can understand. And I guess options back in the day, or I guess, are what crypto is now, right? Right. And, uh, Wild West. I, I still don't understand that. So, um, you know, uh, do I have FOMO that I'm not really into crypto? Yeah. But um, I know that through the, my strategic real estate investing, or, you know, I'll be able to create generational wealth. So I'm okay. But there's definitely still FOMO, though. <laughs> it has that effect on people, no doubt. Yeah. But uh, so, so then I was like, all right, um, my wife told me, look, I don't know why you're trying to do real estate. We already have a safe, safe, stable job. Just stick to that. But I was like, look, I really want to do it. I think it's going to help our family and it's going to create alternative streams. It'll create some optionality and safety. And yes. so um, uh, she told me, you're not, I'm not allowed to use any of our own income. So I'm like, oh, crap. So how do we, how do you buy a deal without any of income? And so I had to learn about creative, you know, capital, create creative financing and all that kind of stuff. And so I, I Googled um, accredited investors on the internet and then I found a, and they are like, Oh, you sign up this membership and you get this list of accredited investors. I'm like, Oh, okay. So I put my credit card in, I got this list. And then I was like, okay, just call them and they'll, they'll, they'll get you the funds. And so they're like names like Devin, they're like Mr. Green and Mr. White. I'm like, Oh, <laughs> and literally they're like, oh, yeah, just uh, Western union us couple hundred bucks. And once that our, we fill out your application, we'll send you the funds. Instant investor base. Yeah. And so it was a scam, right? So I just got, you know, I got fleeced out a couple hundred bucks. I'm like, man, this is, so this is my humble beginnings. And now I'm at the point where we've successfully raised a hundred million dollars. Outstanding. Thank you for sharing some of the, some of the beginnings. And I think people can tend to gloss over that stuff uh, that it's not a smooth up and to the right trajectory. There's, there's experiment there's trial and error. Yeah. So, you know, like I know you, a lot of your listeners are either learning about real estate, they want to passively invest, or maybe they're at the point where they've invested, but now they think they want to be a little bit more active or actively passive, if you will. Maybe they're going to like sort of sort of be part of, uh, you know, the co-GPs, if you will, or sure. they're ready to actually be a full-on sponsor. So I, I think of all the asset classes, I really feel comfortable with multifamily. Um, I think it's very resilient. It's recession, relatively recession proof. Um, I think there's always going to be a need. And, you know, I, I just did a webinar yesterday on, because we're launching a fund and this fund is, um, the goal is to raise, you know, a certain amount of capital and buy about five to seven deals next year. 
or this year actually. And um, one of the things I told him is like, I think multifamily is one of the best vehicles because it's uh, it out it outperformed student housing, hospitality, office, and retail during during the COVID recession. And so, right. you know, if you can find an asset class that you really believe in, like like we did, um, that's something that one I would invest in passively, so I learn learn the ropes. And then if I do have the time, the bandwidth and the interest, maybe consider going active in, in that same asset class. And I don't know, have you, Devin, have you heard of the 10,000 hour rule? Oh yeah. Yeah. Is it Malcolm Gladwell? Yeah. 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 And so I have something called the 10,000 unit rule. So it's, uh, don't, once you figure out what you want to do guys, um, whatever asset class you want to do, and if it's in real estate, great. Um, don't, don't get distracted by the shiny objects. Mm-hmm. And, um, and you want to hear some stories, Devin, I'll tell you a story. So uh, early in our career, we're doing multifamily. We're doing great. We're making, it was making money. We're making money for our investors. The communities were doing well. We thought we were too smart. And when that whole CBD craze came along, which was about three years ago, yep. we're like, oh, let's buy a hemp farm, you know, and not oh, some of those like, deals hit my desk. Sure. Yeah. And we're like, oh, just uh, another buddy of mine said, hey, you know, uh, I know that I'm the, I know these operators really well. I think we can five extra money. And so you know, we threw some money in there and, you know, and um, I'm still waiting. <laughs> so what I'm trying to say is, you know, uh, that being said, look, you know, you can experiment, you can do s- small things here and there, but stick to what you're good at. I mean, we had nothing, we knew nothing about hemp farms or CBD, even I'm a physician. Right. I know, I know the science behind it, but I had no clue on the business of it. Right. So uh, uh, now like there's some, you know, some of the co- our colleagues that we know in, in the industry, they, they started multifamily, but I've noticed they've started pivoting. And I think they're pivoting too early. Mm. So um, my thoughts are, you know, just because it gets a little tougher doesn't mean you leave your asset class. In fact, that's when you want to dig in deep and become super specialized in your asset class. And so um, I think that's why we've been so successful at Viking Capital, because we really um, dug in deep, uh, understood the intricacies. And now we're like, you know, there's nuances to things that you only get after being in, in, in something for five years. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. It's, it's easy to gloss over, but you're right. The, the repetition um, creates a level of competency that, that really that's to your point on the 10,000 hour rule, there's really no shortcut to creating some of that, some of those competencies, right? Even if the, the knowledge is there and, and you can follow templates and follow in other people's footsteps, but there's no substitute for time in the saddle. And I think it's especially enticing for people that are maybe earlier on to want to uh, just jump from thing to thing. And there's, there are a lot of asset classes, development and land and, and uh, retail and, and on and on, uh, all with their pros and cons. But I, I, really like, I really like the approach of staying the course, doubling down, building competencies, and, and rinsing, rinsing and repeating on things that are working, which sounds simple, but for whatever reason, we like to deviate and, and chase a new thing uh, when, when it's, you could just as easily just rinse and repeat uh, on, a, on, a, on a mechanism that's already been successful for you. Yeah. So the, so this, this, the 10,000 unit rule is, you know, I'm not letting Viking Capital truly diversify until we hit 10,000 units. That's great. And so it's like, you know, I have big dreams. I would like to explore, you know, development. I like to explore maybe being a mes funding, you know, debt, sure. uh, providing debt uh, or prep, prep equity. Um, there's a lot of cool things we can do, but let's stick to what we do well, master it. Like, I mean, completely master it, create yes. a whole team around it 
and essentially automate it to where I'm, uh, you know, I, I, I want the people who are listening to try to aim to be owners and not operators. They've essentially have created systems, teams, processes, and they do what we call LGS, Devin, leverage growth and scale. And so okay. now they're like, all right, this is all almost automated, self-sustaining. Now I can go take my energies and time and go do something else because this is already there. It's already spitting off cash flow. It's already buying deals even without me being involved. You know, I'm not the bottleneck as an owner. Yes. So that's, the, that's, that's the key. Yeah, absolutely. I want to back up a little bit, Vikram, and talk about kind of your drive and motivation because you know clearly you you've got the drive and have executed on this. This is not for everybody, and and maybe a small subset of the population kind of self selects into this kind of path. Was there something from your past or or something that that you attribute this drive to? Because it you'll agree it's it's rare. Uh. <laughs> I think it's, you know, there's two things that motivate us, right, in life, uh, inspiration or desperation. <laughs> I would say I, it started with more of a desperation, right? Like, you know, my family, they gave me a great, you know, starting point in life. My dad was an extremely hard worker. Um, he was an engineer, you know, um, and we had a reasonable middle-class life, but like they, my parents happened to fight about money a lot. And mm. I think subconsciously that, that imp- made an imprint on my young brain. And I made a vow that, you know, I don't want that to, you know, happen to me. And then, you know, one of the things I, I, I learned early on was, oh, certain groups of people seem to be financially free. And then I, you know, one of them happened to physicians. But when I entered the physician world, it was all like, a, not a fleece, but they're comfortable, but they're also have scarcity mindset too. Mm-hmm. I was like, man, that's not it either. So I was like, I think entrepreneurs are the ultimate sort of well-balanced people in life. And not there, there are some people who are solopreneurs and people hardworking, but it was like, you know, reading the Kiyosaki books, like reading like the, you know, Tony Robbins books, reading Robin Sharma books and just figuring out there's this, like, I, I sort of pieced together. There's a, an ideal way of doing things where they're entrepreneurs, but they've created systems. They're entrepreneurs. They have teams. They have entrepreneurs, but they're, they're doing things in a big way and they're, you know, big picture. And then they have people doing the details. And I'm like, that sounds cool. And it's sustainable, you know? And so like um, people told me it can't be done. But then since I didn't have any reference in my own immediate life, Devin, what I started doing was reading the books of visionaries and entrepreneurs and like uh, inventors and people who, who've done things beyond my, you know, my comprehension. I was like, man, I want to emulate that. And so I couldn't afford mentorship at the, at the early stages of my life, Devin. So I just had virtual mentors right? and, right. and that was truly influential. And then it's like, and, and I, there's, there's something called the three eyes that I like to uh, share with your listeners. So it's initially I had to imitate, right. Cause I didn't have anything. I, I didn't know what I wanted to do. So I imitated many people. And then pretty soon I was like, what they're doing is great, but you know what? I think we can tweak it just a t- little bit. So I started iterating. And then finally I was like, you know what? I think I can do it even better than any of these guys. Let me innovate. So it's imitate, it. iterate, then innovate. I love it. Yeah. And we all, we all have to start somewhere and there's, there's great, there's great amounts of knowledge ready for the taking for free in books and podcasts and that that's a, it's a beautiful start. Um, I love it. I, I love that model. And I think that's, uh, that's, that's something that somebody listening to can latch onto for their own journey. Let's talk about, the genesis of Viking Capital, what kind of deals you guys initially pursued? What kind of deals you're pursuing now? 
Yeah. So Viking Capital was really just a sort of a pipe dream. And we're like, all right, let's come up with a cool name. And, you know, we tried like, uh, you know, we have, a, we're Indian origin. We're like, oh, let's do Saffron Capital. And my, uh, my buddy was like, dude, that's so dorky. And I was like, all right, fine. All right, let's get something masculine. Let's go Viking Capital, you know? <laughs> and so we're like, all right, cool. Then we looked on the internet and they're like, there's a, a swimming pool company that loans people money to build their swimming pools. And they're called Viking Capital too. I'm like, all right. Right. But I'm proud to say if you Google Viking Capital, we're the ones that come up first now. So that's cool. excellent. That's all that matters. Yeah. <laughs> so we, we own we own that domain now. Um, uh, but yeah, it was just like, look, we thought other professionals would probably want financial freedom. We think they want to diversify their investments. Sure. At, when we started in 2015, it wasn't that common for people to really invest in syndications or real estate. It really has become popular now. But right. at that point, it was really oh, real estate's risky. Oh, you have to buy your own home. And people didn't realize you could invest and get majority of the benefits of active investing being passive. So I was like, all right, let's, let's share this with people. And so uh, we tried to do our own deal first. It, it was very difficult. So we thought let's partner with someone else. So uh, at one of the boot camps, I, had, I, had, I, was, I was learning on how to do multifamily. We met with a group who were very successful in Atlanta. So we're like, all right, well, we know Atlanta. I grew up in Atlanta. I went to Emory for undergrad. I went to medical school nearby. My parents still live down there. It seems to be a good real estate market. I, I'd probably feel comfortable maybe investing down there. And so this group already had a deal under contract. So me and Ravi was like, all right, let's, let's partner up with these guys and maybe we'll bring capital to their deals. And, you know, uh, we were learning on the fly. They're, you know, our investors would ask us a question. We didn't know the answer. We're like, you know what? That's a great question. I'll get back to you. I'm, I'm in the middle of my call right now. I'll call you back in tomorrow, you know? Yep. And um, we'd go talk to the, to the sponsors and we'd learn. And then we'd tell these guys, okay, well, this is what, this is, this is the answer to your question. And so, you know, you sort of have to fake it till you make it. Right. And so we did all that and we felt good. We did the second deal with them. And again, the returns were good. Everything seemed to make sense. And obviously we learned to vet the deals and make sure, because we're the fiduciaries, we have a responsibility to our investors. Yes. And it's because we were already semi-professional and this is sort of a side hustle. We didn't need the money per se. That right. We did it in an in a altruistic and sort of as clean as possible way. And there's no like other incentive besides to making sure our investors were successful. Right. And that really built our reputation. And so- um, and we're surrounded by, and it's an interesting group. I don't know, Devin, what your previous career was prior to you becoming in real estate, but, um, you know, physicians are, they're great people, but they're not necessarily the best investors. And so, and so we were able to give them something that they don't normally have access to, you know, it's right. good, solid investments with good returns and tax benefits. Um, you know, and, and they they don't have to do anything. I mean, they just have to make sure we know what we're doing, but after that they're passive. And so, uh, after three deals, we're like, you know what? We can do this on our own. And so that was a big decision tree, right? We had to say like, all right, that means we're really taking this company to the next level. That means we have to, you know, it's going to spend energy and time that we may not have, that we have to manifest that time, we have to create that time. And so that's the decision, guys. You can, you can be passive, you can be actively passive, which is, you know, maybe helping and raise capital and stuff. But if you really want to get into this game and become a sponsor and a syndicator or whatever you want to do, it's energy, time, and commitment. And so once we made that decision, there's no turning back. So we did it. Let's go. So, but then to get a deal is difficult because you have to get brokers to trust you. You get a, so, you know, we've been working with a broker for almost two years where we're like having conversations, checking out deals, giving feedback, telling them why turn deals don't work because he was giving us bottom of the barrel. Finally, right. we're like, 
all right, there's a deal that makes sense. We went after it. We were so aggressive and uh, we didn't win it. We actually were the backup offer and a group from New York won it. It was 118 unit in the South side of Atlanta mm-hmm. uh, in an area called Riverdale. And we're like sort of bummed out. Like, we're like, whatever, you know, we'll keep looking. And within two weeks we get a call or like um, the owners backed out. You're, you're welcome to have the deal. We're like, Oh, fantastic. And then we're like, Oh, why did the owners back out? There's a murder on the property. <laughs> yep. So, so then it's like a gut wrenching moment. Like, you know, as a doctor, you know, I'm used to gut wrenching moments. You know, someone's dying in front of me. I'm going to code. I'm going to do whatever it needs to do. Maybe it's a procedure of some sort, but this is like a different kind of gut wrenching moment. This is like, you know, what am I getting myself into? Like, this is, I'm, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm a white collar professional about to get, you know, pretty down and dirty here. You know, yes. then, you know, we find out about prostitutes across the street from where this property is. But then we looked at everything and say, this is, this is a pretty, uh, this is an aberration. This is not a common thing. We did a police report. We talked to the property management company. We uh, talked to the city council. We talked to the, the local police department. We felt comfortable that this was just a random incident. And so then, we went in, we got it and, uh, you know, ended up being one of our better deals. And the property next door was completely vacant. It was a, uh, wow. 60, 62 unit property that was, um, owned by like seven different condo owners that they had taken it from apartment and made it a condo. And it was a failed condo. Wow. And he was bringing the value of our property down, which was a sure. So we had to go in and say, you know what? And no, no bank is going to give us debt on this. And then, so we had to do friends and family money and literally like give no 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 investor wanted to invest in it. so it was essentially hey give us a loan and we know what we're doing with the money and so we had to take all these like high interest loans and take down that deal and when you're talking about interesting stories in the green room me and devin were talking and he's like share with these guys some real stories i'm like all right <laughs> that's right so look man um i you know two hours maybe maybe five hours earlier i was in a hospital a boardroom talking to the CEO of a hospital. I had to wear a white coat. I was wearing a really nice tie, black shoes shined up. And seven hours later, I had flown into Atlanta. I was wearing like combat boots. <laughs> I was wearing a cutoff shirt. I was trying to blend in with the population. Yes. And bandana. And I'm going and looking at different units where there's a dead dog in one. There's cockroaches in a second. There's like, you know, you know, uh, destruction mold in the third. I'm like, Ravi, are you sure we're doing, we know what we're doing? We didn't know, but we, we, we thought, look, we're getting at 25 K a door. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Let's just do it. Let's just man up. We're not probably not gonna have any cash flow for two years, but yep. if we come out alive. We're going to do really well. So to cut a long story short, that was a $5 million acquisition there. This was about a 3 million here. So 8 million total. And we sold it in two years for 13 million. Beautiful. Beautiful. So- Sold it as a portfolio deal? Yeah, just I sold it as, no, we, we can merge the apartments and sold it as one. Yeah, perfect. So yeah, they're literally across the street, yeah. right? Yeah, so it's 188 units. So uh, from Brilliant. 116 and a 62 to 180. So uh, we're like, wow, that was a nice little, little chuck of change there. And it gave me the confidence to know like, you know what? I think I can back off a little bit on my, my day job. I can start pursuing this. We can start hiring team members. And, you know, we started building our team from that one big success. And so, you know, we've never looked back. Now we're at, uh, we've done 24 deals, uh, 600 million, 5,000 doors. And, you know, we're just getting started. Fantastic. I love it. Yeah. That first, that first big deal is such a inflection point. 
How are you guys handling property management? Because that's that's one thing to buy a stabilized deal and stick a third party manager on there and and monitor some of the the metrics and KPIs. But sixty uh, some odd units, fully vacant, kind of a war zone. That's yeah. another story. How did you guys handle that? Um, we literally had you know my dad who was helping us out at the time. He was on the ground in Atlanta with a little bit of his uh, uh, construction background, his uh, engineering background. So. Mm-hmm. He was like essentially, you know, on top of that property management company, making sure they did the work and the contractors and things like that. And then, you know, uh, moving forward, uh, we would probably are not doing those kind of like, you know, extreme renovations. Our goal is now to, to buy typical value add deals. Sure. And uh, we've vetted so many property management companies, but we found one that's amazing. And now we've have a strong relationship with them. They manage all our assets now. Excellent. And we're at the point where they've created an internal division for Viking Capital within the property management company. So beautiful. So now it's almost like we have our own property company, but we don't. It's still considered third party. And, you know, we've talked to our mentors and our and sort of the people who are a little bit years ahead of us. And they're like, you know, I think we have to get to a certain number of uh, uh, economies of scale. And I believe maybe about 10,000 doors is when it may make sense. Or maybe even maybe earlier, maybe 8,000 doors where maybe we can create our own property management company and do full vertical integration. So sure. That's the next evolution, but it's a big it's a big undertaking because when you do that, it's essentially like a whole different company within your company. It is, and it's a completely different uh, skill set and employee set, and it's it's a different business. So, uh, it sounds like you guys kind of have the best of both worlds right now with a lot of high touch attention from a third party. You're big enough to warrant that without all of the. Uh, headaches and, and management. And, and, you know, you're not starting a management company for huge profits, right? It's really, it's really more about control, unless you're going to get to a certain size and maybe sell, sell the management company off to a private yeah. equity firm or whatever I, the case I, is. I think, I think in this case, it's more about like, look, if we can generate a couple of extra points of margin, you know, or like profitability on the deals that can translate into better returns for our investors, which when we're showing our investor profile compared to a competitor, we're like, man, these guys have, you know, they're able to hit these goals and hit these benchmarks and returns that we can't hit. And that, that's the difference between having complete, something completely vertically integrated. You know? Right, right. Yeah, it's an advantage. Uh, and obviously that advantage comes at a, at a great cost of, of building the company and running the company. Um, what, you guys have a lot of doors. What markets are you in? And, and you know, what, why, why those markets? We talked about Atlanta. Yeah, Atlanta, we've done about, I think, 15 to 16 deals. Uh, we then did our own backyard. We live in Northern Virginia, D.C. And mm-hmm. so we bought a phenomenal deal in, in, in as a mid-rise A-class building in D.C. Um, and it just because of our relationships, it just sort of fell into our lap. And it's a HUD loan. So it's like mm. low interest loan for about 30 years. <laughs> so Amazing. Uh, it's like, uh, it's, it's definitely an interesting deal. And then we've done some deals in Dallas and Austin. And we just uh, launched a new deal in San Antonio, and uh, we probably will have more deals in, in, in the, some of the other uh, Texas markets as well. So um, I think Texas is going to be a big home for us. We, we're looking in Florida and the Carolinas. We like those markets, sure. specifically Orlando, Jacksonville, Tampa. We like Phoenix and Vegas. Um, uh, it's hard as a competitive market, so we're starting to br- you know, break into that slowly. And um, we're doing a developmental deal in Columbus, Ohio that uh, we're going to, you know, um, break ground on shortly. And, um, and then we did uh, a deal in, in Indiana. So a pretty big deal. Uh, it was a 76 million. It was the biggest deal ever that we did. $76 million, 400 unit deal in Indiana. 
Outstanding. And that was a newer, newer deal. Yeah. It was 2000 vintage and it was right yeah. across the street from a major hospital right down the street from Notre Dame. I love it. And so how, so that's, that's great geographic diversity and sounds like all, all great markets from, from what I've seen. Um, how have you scaled your investor base to accommodate? Are you guys just kind of have that accredited investor database? Are you starting to talk to family offices, private equity, big check writers now, or how do you guys approach that? We, we started getting attention a year ago from private equity, preferred equity institutions, the, the restrictions that they provided were too much. And since sure. we have the capability to raise capital, we decided we're still staying with our, uh, our, our preferred route of in, uh, raising investor capital, which is friends and family. And then obviously we've gone way beyond that. So it's now it's, it's just, um, you know, we've created this, you know, a network of professionals out there who really want to work with reputable companies such as ours. And, you know, uh, they're, they're, they're physicians, they're, they're doctors, they're lawyers, they're entrepreneurs, they're, um, they're business folks, and they're looking to get into the game in, as a passive investor. And, you know, we've been able also cater to sort of the high-end passive investors, meaning high net worth individuals. So we've created something called a reserve class. So we give them, you know, premium level returns for their commitment. And so oh, excellent. That's, that's been very attractive to a lot of people because not many groups out there have a reserve class, if you will. Um, and so, uh, yeah, we have a, a ton of education, similar to what you, I think you provide for your, your listeners, a ton of education. We have a lot of different platforms, obviously I've been on a lot of podcasts and things like that. And then it's just, um, you know, we've, we've had our first, um, major, uh, conference. We had a, what's called a multifamily immersion live in Atlanta last year. And we had like a, a bus tour. We had a shark tank. We had, um, you know, uh, people sort of, uh, just learning a ton about multifamily, whether they want to be really good, savvy, sophisticated investors, or they want to actually learn the business for themselves. So either way, it's just tons of education, brand, brand, uh, you know, brand building thought leadership, you know, all of that's been very helpful. I love it. Yeah. Those are all the, all the pieces that, that come into play. And it's, uh, it's really exciting to see when somebody's taken this concept and scaled it out to the degree that you guys have. Uh, you know, it'd be different if you were a third generation real estate developer and had, uh, you know, some some equity source. But you, you guys built this from, you know, the first project to to where it is now. What do you see ahead? We're talking early twenty twenty two right now. What do you guys see ahead for the coming year twenty twenty two? Yeah, I mean, this year is really going to us to acquire about our goal is to acquire about six to eight properties. Um, we already have two in the pipeline. We've already have two under contract. We need probably about six more to hit our mm -hmm. goals. And, uh, you know, uh, probably. And that was six to eight, right? The 66, six, seven or eight properties. Yeah. I got you. Yeah. yeah. And, um, I, we, we think, uh, you know, we have a, a fund, um, size about a hundred million that we're, you know, we're, we've launched, um, officially yesterday. Mm -hmm. And so it's just, yeah, just, uh, raising capital, answering, answering investor questions, making sure we hit the re returns and providing a strong, stable, uh, platform for diversification. Cause we were just doing single asset syndications and there's, there's benefits to a fund and, um, sure. benefits to, uh, stability and to diversification across the country in these key markets. And so, uh, we think that's, a, that's a great option for our investors and overall multifamily in general is a very forgiving uh, asset class, but then the way we do it is just much more, um, strategic and, and very sort of, um, 
it's, it's easier for us to hit our metrics because we're just so business process oriented. And, and um, you know, our asset management is on point. We have in-house asset management where they, they literally sit on each asset and make sure that they're hitting their monthly, weekly, daily, you know, goals. And so it really, if you do it, if you, it's basically what you measure, you improve. So if we measure everything and we measure more often, we're going to do well. I love it. I think it's a great approach. And I think, I think uh, very reasonable targets. When you guys look at building your targets, do you, you mentioned, uh, you know, a, a property acquisition number. Are you looking at, you know, total equity deployed, total unit yeah. count, total asset count? What's kind of your preferred method? Uh, it's to- equity deployed. So like maybe a hundred million dollars equity will help us buy about 300 to $400 million of real estate. Right. And the doors are what the doors are going to be. I mean, we're not necessarily, you know, they're going to be what they're going to be. Right. We we can anticipate, you know, but uh, our usual asset class, uh, the typical acquisition criteria is about 200 to 500 units. Right. uh, Right. B and A minus, you know, kind of properties uh, with some value add component in these key, you know, markets. Sure. And, And the goal is, you know, go in, buy it hold it for three to five years and then, you know, exit, or if we need to refi and then, you know, hold it for a little bit longer, we can. Right. Yeah. The model works, you know, the model works. I think you, you got to have the equity to pull it off. You got to have the operational chops to pull it off. And that's obviously, uh, you know, never seen a bad looking OM, but the, the rubber meets the road on the operations and running these things for three, four, five years. But uh, sounds like you guys have built a really great team to, to do that. Um, Vikram, if somebody wants listening, wants to connect with you guys, learn more about what's ahead for you, how can they do that? Sure. Um, our website is vikingmultifamily.com. So they can find out everything about us as our company. Um, if people want to connect with me directly, um, I have a LinkedIn, uh, website. It's, uh, linkwithvik.com, L-I-N-K-W-I-T-H-V-I-K.com. And they can connect to me directly. So those are the two ways. Outstanding. We'll link to it in the show notes and, uh, you guys listening, go check it out. Thank you for jumping on today and sharing your story. I wish you guys continued success. I love, I love seeing and hearing story, uh, success stories like these. So wish you a, uh, a successful year ahead. Thanks, Devin. All right. Thank you for listening to the DJE podcast. For more information, please go to djetexas.com.